For those of you who have not been here over the past four weeks, we're in the middle of a series on union with Christ, knowing and enjoying God. I'm going to, you know, the trouble with ever saying anything is that you can't say everything. So I'm going to try to just tell you where we've been a little bit to whet your appetite for what's to come this morning. Um, There have been four sermons, and they've all been kind of feasting on these meaty truths, things like you are united to God in Christ by the power of the Spirit, and that the point of Christianity is, is it's not a religious checklist. Um, you are united to God for the sake of a communion of, of life and abundance in the living God's own life, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're sharing in that life. You are like Michelangelo's Pieta. You are a masterpiece made in the image of God and being restored to the image of God. And last week we talked about how because of our union with Christ, we are adopted and beloved sons and daughters. Um, now, if those four sermons were kind of the meat and potatoes of the meal, this sermon is the broccoli. Um, we are looking at holiness this morning. And this call that we heard read this morning, Catherine read First Peter, be holy like I am holy. Broccoli is the stuff we know we're supposed to eat. It's good for us, but we'd rather move on to the French silk pie, in my case. Um, skip the vegetable. Well, not, you are a very healthy bunch, so not all of you, but at least for me. Can you guys hear me okay in the back? I feel quiet. Okay. Uh, now, the trouble with saying be holy like God is holy, is that, again, I can't say everything all over again that we've said, so I just want to emphasize that the past four sermons have established this truth that the call to holiness must be understood as the call to become who we already are, God's children, not the call to earn the right to become God's children. Holiness does not earn us union with Christ or union with God. Holiness flows out of union with God. Now again, um, just for the sake of you who are new, I'm using two books, Rankin Wilborn's Union with Christ and J. Todd Billings' Union with Christ, and a lot of this sermon is coming from chapters 9 and 10. So the question we looked at last week was, who am I? The question we're looking at this week is, is what am I here for? And a purpose. It's one thing to say, I am God's beloved child, I am God's masterpiece, um, but what does that actually mean today? In Walker, Walker Percy's words, we must still get through an ordinary Wednesday afternoon. So what am I just supposed to do with this practically? Why am I here? First Peter gives us the answer to that question. What am I to do today? What am I to do next Wednesday? Every day, grow in holiness. That's the call. First Peter 1, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now do you feel like in that call a big steaming plate of mushy broccoli has just been served? Uh, maybe you do. So let's start there. Who, who really wants holiness? Um, do you? Um, then, then we're going to move on after we answer that question to look at the assurance we need for holiness and the power we need for holiness and the priests we need for holiness. But first, who wants holiness? My son Levi's birthday is next week, and this past week we were in Target, and I thought it would be a good idea to distract him for a few minutes by taking him through the toys aisle, which he's never been through before. And his eyes just started bulging with excitement, and especially when he saw the Indominus Rex dinosaur. And without even a hint of restraint, he immediately launches this very passionate campaign, you've got to buy me this dinosaur immediately um, for my birthday. Come on, Dad, for my birthday, you know. And my attempts to distract him failed, my, my gentle no failed. And then, unsurprisingly perhaps, he was, he was unconvinced by my holiness pep talk. Levi, buddy, it's, it's not good for you always to get what you want right away. Um, I want you to learn patience, and I want you to learn self-control. 
And then he said to me, your wisdom is precious as gold unto me, Father. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Hebrews 12 says, God our Father disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now, when we are going through the adult version of, of but I want the dinosaur now, you know, it can be very, very hard to hear our Father say no to a new toy, to a relationship, um, to a hope of your heart for a healing. It is possible, at least, that the reason we're hearing no really is because his goal for us, his primary goal for us, is to make us more like him, to make us holy. And that involves suffering, and that's hard. For us to share in his holiness is God's goal for us. So who wants holiness? Let's be very clear. First of all, God does. God himself is the perfection of all holiness, the source of all holiness. To say that God is holy is to say, as uh, the 4th century Father Gregory of Nyssa put it, God is perfect in goodness, both in his essential nature and in all actions that proceed out of that nature. He is perfect in goodness. God is holy, which means that every excellence fitting to the supreme being is found in God without limit and without blemish. Holiness consummate, consummates and harmonizes all the attributes and traits of God. So God's love is holy, God's power is holy, God's knowledge is holy. And so John sees the throne room of God in heaven, and he sees four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, day and night, never ceasing to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God is holy. He is perfect in goodness. And therefore, we might translate 1 Peter 1.15 this way. Therefore, there must be no limits on your goodness, as your heavenly Father's goodness knows no limits. So this is why holiness is not an optional piece of extra credit. On the religious checklist, you know, only for professional Christians or for super Christians. It's for all of us. It's for you. But again, we must be careful not to think of Christianity as a set of things to do or not do, so much as, I mean, because if we do, then holiness is just another kind of burden on the religious checklist. But if you are united to the living God who is holy, 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 if his life is joined to yours, then of course your life is going to trend towards holiness as it increasingly reflects the life of God in you, right? Right? So this process of becoming more holy, more like God, is what the Bible calls sanctification. The process of becoming holy. It's not an optional extra, it is an essential. And justifying you, then God has this purpose for you, that you become holy. It can be put no more plainly than in Ephesians 1. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? Purpose clause, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So I think you've heard the point. We were not saved by a remote God to take us to a remote heaven. We were saved by union with God to make you holy. Now, why, 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 why might we think of holiness like, a, in my case, sometimes a steamy, mushy plate of broccoli that we don't really want? Here are three reasons maybe holiness is not something you cherish or prize. First, maybe you think of it as just undesirable. It's just undesirable. I was browsing Facebook last week, and my algorithm spit a video at me of an Uber driver, and he was recording some unruly passengers in the back seat. It was a group of four teenagers in his car, and they pile in, and the, the teenager in the front passenger seat began vaping, and the, the driver immediately asked her to stop, 
And um, immediately this person, this, this teenage girl becomes defensive and offended and she snaps back at him, are you some kind of holier-than-thou religious person? See, if holiness is seen as God's no to anything fun or anything pleasurable, no wonder it's so undesirable. You know, when you hear the word holy, maybe you think of just a stiff, legalistic, hard, harsh kind of thing. And so holiness just doesn't feel desirable to you. Maybe that's the case for you, maybe not. In a moment, we're going to see the beauty of holiness. The second reason maybe you don't want holiness is that you just feel it's unnecessary. Um, If God forgives me no matter what, then why does it matter how I live? Wilborn, in his book, cites an interview with the British actress Keira Knightley, which played Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice a while ago. Knightley, she's, she's an atheist, she said this, If only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. I just asked for forgiveness, and then I'd be forgiven. This is a very reasonable objection. And in fact, it's one that Paul addresses and anticipates in Romans 6.1. I like Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. He writes this. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in the old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in your baptism. When we went underwater, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. See, union with Christ means you've moved out of the land where sin is sovereign and into a new country. So the reason we don't keep on sinning or keep desiring to sin is because we begin delighting in God's love and his new ways and in this new land of grace. And so our hearts are changed by the inside out. So finally, a third reason we might not want holiness is that it seems unattainable. It just seems unattainable to us. It's too hard. It's too demanding. We see where God is calling us, but holiness is like way off in the distance. And between us and between holiness are like several 14ers and rivers and canyons, and we just can't cross it. I'll never get there, we think. You know, it's, it's not possible, at least for me. I've tried. I've tried before, and I know if I try again, I'll fail. So here's where the analogy breaks down a little bit. Holiness, don't think of it as way off in the distance, demanding you strive to climb its peak. Because through union with Christ, you are already holy. What do I mean? Let's take a look at the first of the three things we need for holiness, the assurance that we need for holiness. Now, it's true. Oh, I'm glad Josh and Jess are both here this morning. Josh Williams and Jess Bartley have conquered the majority of 14ers in Colorado, as many of you know. How many? 34 or 35? Yeah, but the thing is, not all of us are six foot six. (laughs) Not all of us can just bound up the mountain like an ant, you know? (laughs) Maybe others can do it. Um, I asked them if I could talk about how tall they were. Um, Maybe others can do it, but the distance from here to holiness for me just seems too far, too much. I'm not built for it. You know, I'll leave it to the spiritual giants, the the Mother Teresas of the world, to ascend the mountain of holiness. But through union with Christ, you've already climbed the mountain, you see. Union with Christ means you are already sanctified. This is precisely what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. He says, He, Jesus, is the source of your life, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, the source of your life, Jesus, is your holiness. 
There, so there is an already finished aspect to your sanctification. We tend to think of that as justification only, but in Christ you have been sanctified, a once and for all definitive act. You have been made holy by the blood of Jesus who has atoned for your every unholy thought, and he has washed you clean with his love. Now, think about this. Paul's words that I just read, they come on the heels of his introductory words in 1 Corinthians, where he is writing to correct and rebuke and encourage the church in Corinth, which is struggling with heresy and with all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity. Yet he begins his letter this way, to the church of God that is in Corinth. He doesn't say, you're not a church anymore. He says, to the church in God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So he's writing to a people mired in sin, and yet he says, you are already sanctified in Christ. To be sanctified, to be made holy, is to be set apart for God's purposes, and so they have. And yet he goes on to say that those who are sanctified are also called to be saints. So there is this tension here. There is still a call in front of them, calling them towards holy behavior. So the call to be holy, understand, the call to be holy is the call to become who you already are. And let this be an anchor for your soul. You are already holy. You are already acceptable. You are already safe and secure and anchored in Christ. And nothing can snatch you out of his hands. This means that holiness is not unattainable. You are not trying to climb a mountain that is just too big for you. You are already on top of the mountain. And the life of holiness is actually a life of learning to to breathe and to see and to be at this altitude. So that's first. Union with Christ gives you the assurance you need for holiness. Second, union with Christ gives us the power we need for holiness. Union with Christ does not only mean that you are in Christ, it also means that Christ is in you by his Spirit. We sung about that a lot this morning. If being in Christ is the anchor, as we've just said, then Christ in you is the engine. It's the powerful engine of holiness. Christ himself is the power that drives you to this holy horizon that you're being called to. Again, in 1 Peter, the horizon is named. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Be holy as I am holy. Now we recognize as we read these words that the gift of holiness already given to us in Christ does not make the pursuit of holiness unnecessary. There's a paradox here. The Bible sees holiness as something that we already are and something that we are called to become. The call to holiness is, again, to become who you already are. Wilburn offers this great analogy from the underdog sports movie, Rudy to say that the engine of holiness is Christ's power in us. So Rudy, you've seen the movie, it's pretty old now. Rudy is desperately wanting to play football at Notre Dame. And the problem is he's too small and he's too slow and he doesn't have the raw talent to play. And this drove him to work three times as hard as everybody else. So during practice, he's just going that three times the intensity. And the coach, observing Rudy's tenacity, comments to Rudy. He says, I wish God would put your heart in some of my players' bodies. God has taken Christ's heart and put it in your body. You have a profound, a profound power. Power to resist sin, power to pursue holiness. Yeah, you don't, but he does. All of you know that Tolkien is my favorite author. Lord of the Rings is my favorite book. If you've read or seen the story, you'll remember that Bilbo gives Frodo the mithril coat, you know, described as supple as linen, cold as ice, harder than steel, It shone like moonlit silver and was studded with white gems. It's a coat of armor. And before Frodo sets out into danger, Bilbo bids him to hide it under his clothes, telling him it will turn even the knives of black riders. 
Frodo is soon after that speared by an orc and he's thought to be dead, but in the end is left with only bruises. And Gandalf comments that the Mithril coat that Frodo is wearing is worth more than the Shire and everything in it. And he calls it a kingly gift. How much more of a kingly, priceless power is hidden in you? You are united to the spirit of the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is dwelling in you by his spirit. He can turn the knives of black riders. Of course he can. Now, how does this look practically? You know, when you're struggling with specific sin, for example, how do we tell the difference between the power of Christ in us and our own legalistic and moral striving? As one pastor put it, the only condition that all Christian spirituality must satisfy is the priority of grace in whatever way it comes. The priority of grace. So very practically what this means is when you're struggling with some kind of besetting sin, something you're trying to address in your life, don't think that the silver bullet is the right internet filtering software or the right new workout routine or, or the right book that you need to read or even the right counselor. I mean, all these things I highly endorse. A really important part of your healing. But the priority for a Christian is to at least start. Start by drawing the sail of your soul. Catch the wind of the Spirit. How? Through the means of grace. Three, repentance, sacraments, and prayer. Repent. Ask God for the desire to hate your sin. Ask him to show you what holiness is like. Um, Ask him to show you the holiness of his life. Ask him to help you see the sinfulness, of destru- the, the destructiveness of your sin. And then throw yourself upon the sacramental graces, the body and blood, the community of the church where you can confess and receive assurance of forgiveness. And then go to him humbly with the power of Christ in you in prayer. Say to your soul, soul, this sin does not have power over me. Christ has broken the power of sin and darkness. I can say no to this sin, to this temptation, and yes to the Spirit of God. Fill me, assure me, anchor me in your love. So start there. Start there with the means of grace as a first step in your healing. Willborn summarizes, you are in Christ. That gives you the assurance. Christ is in you. That gives you the power. And together, the assurance and the power mean you can move out in confidence. Well, lastly, union with Christ gives us the priest that we need for holiness. Because in the final analysis, you will not want holiness, as I've said, unless you are convinced of the beauty of holiness. Because what the heart loves, as I've said, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. So how do you come to desire and love holiness? That's a key question. You come to desire and love holiness by coming to love and desire the one who is holiness. You must see that Jesus Christ is, in the words of Hebrews 3, our high priest forever. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, the high priest went into God's presence once a year into the Holy of Holies, and often, as the legend has it, he had a a belt around his waist or around his ankle to, in case the holy presence of God struck him down, they could drag him out. One man, the high priest of Israel, once a year to atone for the sins of the people in the holy presence of God. And he took the blood of a sacrificial animal in, and he bore Israel on his chest with a breastplate of 12 jewels, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he offered the blood to atone for the sins of the people so that a holy God could be close to an unholy people. 
But God, being rich in mercy, wanted to come closer. He didn't want to just be near you. He wanted to be intimately, mysteriously, wonderfully united to you. Deep communion with you. And Jesus, like the high priest of Israel, was adorned for the occasion, not with elaborate jewels on his chest, but, but your name on his chest, on his heart. Human flesh, dressed in human flesh, offering not the blood of animals, but the blood of his own body, putting away sin once and for all. Has anyone else ever loved you to death? Has anyone else ever made your good such an overwhelming concern that he has literally given his life to restore yours and to help you flourish? Now, it's one thing to believe in some kind of benevolent God, but it's another to know that you have a priest, a mediator, Jesus, who shed his own blood for you and who now, where is he now? The ascended Lord is now before the throne of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you, overflowing in the words of Zephaniah 3.17, your God rejoices over you with singing. You know, no other priest knows you better. No other priest has loved you to death. No other priest is at this moment singing his delight over you, praying his love over you, and that's the priest who is calling you to be holy as I am holy. Why? Because the call to be holy is actually the call to become who you really are. Whose job is it? Is it God's job or yours? And the answer is yes. Union with Christ means that God's role in sanctification and yours sometimes is hard to separate because on the one hand, it's done. It's entirely a gift. He alone is holy and it's his holiness as a gift that you receive empty-handed that makes you holy. On the other hand, the gift of grace wells up in us and invites a heartfelt response. As one pastor put it, God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given us the responsibility of doing so. So what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And you will never desire to walk in holiness until you see Christ, your high priest, for who he really is. And the call of holiness for what it really is, to become who you are, to become who he's made you to be. It's not an arbitrary call. God's holiness is not because he wants a certain level of moral superiority to let you into heaven. It's not a test to earn eternity. He wants holiness for the same reason I wanted to teach Levi patience and gratitude. He is a father, and he wants us to flourish. And holiness ushers us into this authentically human way of living to become who we really are, lives shot through with intimacy and purpose and belonging and joy. So let me just offer these final two points of application. Along the way, you will be tempted to give up and fight, sorry, give up the fight, and to rest in sin. You'll just be discouraged at times. In Psalm 32, King David gives words to what is really what it's like, what it's like to experience this sense of discouragement when you are living with unconfessed sins, especially like David was. David says, when I kept silent, in other words, when I kept my sins to myself, my bones wasted away and your hands were heavy upon me. Now, if Christ's life is in you, you will never be happy living in sin. You will live with a constant sense of holy disquiet, as it's been called, because you're not being true to who you really are. And the invitation, then, is to confess and to repent. And maybe some of you have been resisting this for too long. And this morning, you're going to have a chance to confess and repent here together as a body. But you may also want to reach out to a trusted friend, 
a small group leader, a counselor, a pastor, someone you trust to just hear the pardoning words of Christ spoken over your sin. That's a means of grace you can draw upon if you're discouraged. But remember, union with Christ means no matter what you're struggling with, you're anchored. You're anchored in his love. Okay? Second, along the way, you'll be tempted to despair when you fail. And we will, right? We will fail. So listen, finally, to Paul's closing exhortation in Philippians 3. Paul himself says, Not that I have already obtained this, or that I have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, for Christ Jesus has made me his own. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, and I press on to the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Holiness is a pilgrimage with plenty of bumps and bruises along the way, and you will probably not stride up the mountain with ease. But take heart, because Christ has already made you his own. You are already safe in his arms. So you're safe to fall. It's safe to struggle in Christ. But don't forget, you will never be full of yourself until he has finished your work, his work in you, until he's made you the saint that he's called you to be. So press on into holiness. Press on into sainthood, for that is who you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help holiness to become for each of us not, not broccoli. Um, help us to see it in all of its beauty. Help us to see you in all of your beauty on a heart level to truly apprehend the goodness of your call to become more like your son. The ways that as we walk increasingly reflecting your image just bears so much good fruit in our life as we become who you've made us to be. I pray that anyone struggling with a sense of holy disquiet would throw themselves upon your mercy and recognize the deep love you have for them, that as they come and confess their sins, they would receive your pardoning grace. And I pray that for others, they would realize the power they have, the, the coat of mithril that they're wearing, that they can draw upon the Holy Spirit in them and say no um, and walk into holiness. Would you speak words to each of us that we need to hear? In Jesus' mighty name we pray this. Amen.